We are at verse 18 of 1 John 5. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Wait a minute. Well, you need to add some words here for clarification. He who is born of God does not make sin his habit. He who is born of God does not practice sin. It's not his lifestyle. That's what that means. That help you? Because I could just feel this. But he who has been born of God keeps himself. I can't do that for you. Pastor Rick Cole can't do it for you. You keep yourself. And that's what this morning is about. And the wicked one does not touch him. Boy. When we used to have testimony meetings, people would get up and say, please pray for me, the devil has really been after me. Well, it's because you haven't been keeping yourself. Because the one who keeps himself, the Bible says, the wicked one does not touch him. Praise God. I don't have problems with the devil. Does that seem surprising to you? I never feel the devil's presence because I practice the presence of the Lord. And the devil is never comfortable in the presence of the Lord. So I have no problem with him. He is a loser. And boy, this, this passage is just powerful for you, for the new year. Verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now read with me the last verse, everyone aloud. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. What does amen mean? So be it. Read it again. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Now back to Exodus chapter 20 before I allow you to be seated. The great chapter in Exodus where the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. Verses 3 through 6, where the first two commandments are mentioned. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them Get this, nor serve them. You see, it's not just getting down in front of a shrine, it's serving idols. That is also the concern of the Almighty. You shall not serve them. For I, and here's the reason, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You want to know what your ancestors are going to be like? Keep the commandments and you'll know. Because God visits third and fourth generation 
families with blessing, who love him and walk in his commandments. I am blessed to see that unfolding in my own family, and I could not be more grateful. My subject today is the danger of idols. Father, in Jesus' name, may the word of God be more than a sermon. May it be powerfully penetrating to our lives, from the youngest to the oldest. May the Spirit of God be here to bring out of us what needs to be laid at the altar and to put in us what we need on the altar of our hearts. May your servant be hidden behind the cross of Jesus Christ. May we see Jesus only. And may we be lifted up by his presence. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Somebody took the clock out of here knowing I'm, I was coming, and I really appreciate that. It's gone. But I do have one on my wrist. Here's a definition of idols by G. Campbell Morgan. You ready? Anything that divides the heart in its loyalty to the Lord. Anything that divides the heart in its loyalty to the Lord. We read from Exodus 20 about this holy God who demanded that there be no other gods before him. One of the great dangers today, in my opinion, is to look at God like a pal, to be kind of chummy with God, like uh, the man upstairs. That has always bothered me. Because he's holy, he's righteous, he's awesome. And I think we have to be careful about this chumminess when we think about God. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? The answer is, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. You see, not everybody can come into the presence of this holy God. It's not like, hi, buddy, how you doing? Here I am. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, through that whole section, Moses had a request from God. He said, God, show me your glory. And God said to Moses, Moses, if I did that for you, you would not live. No man can see my face and live. That is the awesomeness of God. But he said, I'll do you this favor. I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And as I pass by, I will cover your face with my hand so that you cannot see me. And when I pass by, my hand will be removed, and you will see my hinder parts, and you will not die. And so that is what God did for Moses. And even that was almost more than Moses could handle because of God's holiness, because of his majesty, because of his greatness. He is God. And there is no other God, and he demands of us 
the very best that we can give him. There is great danger in having idols as we come toward a new year. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. God expects certain things of us as we celebrate here on the last Sunday of 97. And John said in chapter 2 of the letter we read from verse 1, here's the reason I write to you, that you might not sin. That's why I'm penning you this letter, that you might not sin, that you might be found worthy of God with no idols in your life. Now, there are three areas that I want to speak to. The possibility of making people idols. The possibility of making places idols. The possibility of making things idols. And then we will move to the fourth, which is our proper focus, Jesus Christ, who should be the idol of all of us. First of all, the possibility of making people idols. I see young people wearing shirts with numbers on them. One of them I see a lot, number 23, and every kid will know what that number represents. It's Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, greatest basketball player who has ever played the game. Number 23. The problem is a lot of people worship at the altar of Michael Jordan. I see number 80 on a lot of red shirts. That's Jerry Rice, the greatest end that has ever played football. The possibility is to worship at the altar of a Jerry Rice. Let me explain how that works. A pastor told me just recently that he felt he was going to leave the ministry. He wanted to get out of his church. I said, why? He said, I just can't take the lack of commitment. He said, I had a family tell me the other day they wouldn't be in church for a season because their son is involved in soccer on Sunday, and he's, he's bowed at the altar of the soccer players. And uh, the parents did not deal with it except to succumb to his desires, and so the whole family is going to be out of church for a season. And let me tell you, that's the season the devil loves because he's going to do work in that family that possibly they will never recover from. And this pastor was so distraught over the lack of commitment on the part of people who bow at the altar of people. There is also, of course, the entertainment people that people bow before today. It's amazing to me as I see some of this unfold on television where these people come into... Uh, places and, and the crowds break down barriers and break laws as they worship their idol. People get trampled to death because they're uncontrollable because of a personality that they have to see. Uh, there are so-called musicians, question mark. 
that people worship at the altar and the music is, it's just not even music. And yet they bow there. And everything revolves around that personality. The possibility of making people idols. The latest guru that comes along. Who hasn't done a thing for these people. Never died on a cross. Never rose from the dead. Never pays the income tax in many cases. They bow at that altar. A new guru. New religious person. They bow at that altar. And lose their soul. The danger of idols. Keep yourselves from idols. I cannot do that for you. You have to decide today you're going to do it for yourself. And when you decide that, the devil doesn't have a chance at your heart and at your life. It's a tragic altar to bow in front of, the altar of people. All the 17 years that I pastored this church, I determined I would not go down in front during the anointing and prayer service to pray for people, even though I could have many occasions. Because I knew that wherever I stood, the line would stretch back to the back because I'm the spiritual guru. And I never wanted that. I never wanted people bowing at the altar of Pastor Cole. And I deliberately stayed away, allowing other people, because the Bible says that any of us can lay hands on the stick and see them recover in the name of Jesus. And I didn't want them to think that the blessing came just because of me. It has nothing to do with me. It's because of him. And I don't want to be a guru to anybody. Friends, examine your heart. Young people, examine your heart. Is there an idol in there? It could be somebody you've allowed to come into your life as a close friend. Even someone you may be thinking of marrying that you know is not good for your spiritual life. You'd better deal with the spiritual before you deal with the other. Because it's possible that a person can become an idol. Paul found that true in his day, almost 2,000 years ago. It's interesting. When he wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said, now, some say, I am of Paul. And some say, well, I'm of Apollos. And some say, I am Cephas, Peter. I'm of Peter. And then he shoots back with a question. And I love the way he saw through this danger. He said, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who's Paul? It's Jesus that died. It's Jesus that rose again. Don't you dare bow at the altar of Paul or the altar of Apollos who was a learned, powerful Speaker, don't bow at the altar of Cephas, the Apostle Peter. You only bow before one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. The second concern I have is the possibility of the idol of places. Scripture speaks of places. Did you know that? Psalm 73, 18 talks about slippery places. Have you ever been there? Psalm 74.20 talks about the dark places of the earth. 
and many seek after those places. Isaiah 40, verse 4, talks about rough places. Had any of those in 97? Matthew 23, 6 says, they love the best places. They wanted to be up by his right hand. What kind of places are you seeking after? In Ephesians 1, 3, Paul says, why don't you seek heavenly places? Go after heavenly places. Not slippery places or dark places or the best places. Go after heavenly places. You can find heavenly places in Christ Jesus every day you live. That's what he found in prison. That's what he experienced when he was beaten with many stripes, shipwrecked, and all the rest. Heavenly places. What kind of places do you seek as this year comes to a close? I think of the place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Because Lot's family was told, go out and don't look back. And everybody heeded except one person in that family. It was Mrs. Lot. When they got up on the hillside out of the city, I don't know what came over her. She thought about the idol of her home, the idol of places. That city that she had climbed the social ladder in, and it overcame her, and she turned around and looked back only for an instant and turned into a pillar of salt. How tragic. You see, you can lose your life and you can lose your soul making places idols. It's all going to be burned up anyway. It's all going to be destroyed anyway. And people will bargain with their soul over places. Listen, the Bible says, I'll give you a new heart. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20, God says to the prophet concerning Israel, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. You say, I don't want to go back to the bar, that place I keep being drawn to, then Turn around and go the other way. Walk in his statutes. You don't have to go back to the bar. There are better places. And the Lord will give you a new heart. He'll give you new desires. If you desire to rip the idol of places out of your life. And make Jesus Christ the Lord of all. A tent or a cottage. Why should I care? They're building a mansion for me over there. So what are places when you have the best yet ahead if you follow his statutes and his judgments? The third idol I'm concerned about today is the idol of things. Things. Possessions. Paul reminds us in Philippians 3, 19 and 20, that it is possible to set your mind on earthly things. Do you have your mind set on earthly things? If so, you're not going to have a very good 98. He said, rather set your mind on things above. Change your thought processes. Stop thinking about 
things and think about him. And he'll provide for you everything you need. Read the Sermon on the Mount again. Take no thought about what you're going to wear or how tall you are or how short you are or what you're going to eat. Don't I take care of the sparrow and don't I take care of the lily of the field? I clothe them. I feed them. Take no thought of things, but rather seek first my righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. Hear me, friends. Don't have the emptiness of seeking after things in the new year. The Scripture teaches us to be content with whatever we have. And if God can trust us with more, He will give it to us in His good time. You be faithful to Him. And he will take care of the things that you have need of. I have read in the paper of people who, when their home was burning, they ran back into the fire for a thing, only to perish in the flame. You've read about those kind as well. Things were more important than their own safety, and they went back and perished, clinging to things. When Jesus comes, there will be some clinging to things and will not be able to let go to be a part of the rapture of the church. Cut yourself away from idols. Do you know what things will do to you? In 98, they will challenge your credit card limits. Some of you are already there. They can put undue pressure on your marriage. They can become idols that destroy your relationship with God. And James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And there is a devil that comes after all of us, especially in affluent America. I call it the devil of things. And we cannot release ourselves from things. Every sale, every little gimmick, every little item, a new this, a better that. Oh, my friends. Make Jesus the focus rather than thing. And you'll be filled with purpose and meaning in 98. That leads me to my last point. Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you think this is a negative sermon, then I've got to turn the corner here real quick. Because it isn't. The way. I'm the way, he said. Walk in it. I am the truth. Discover it. I am the life. Enjoy it. Anybody that knows me very well knows how I enjoy life. Every day is a picnic to me. My wife gets disgusted with me. Because everything is... Ah, another day! wonder what good things God has for me today. Wow. I plan to be doing what I'm doing when I'm a hundred. Just think how many more last Sundays of the year I get to come here, Rick. When Nathan's pastoring this church, I'll still be coming back. 
I don't know where that came from, Nathan. Uh, just... Life is great. I don't see every day, thou shalt not. Now, Glenn, call you bad boy. I don't, I don't see that. That's in there, and I've memorized it, and I know all about it, but that's not the way I think. I think about the great possibilities I have in Jesus Christ. You know that he's the Lord of the resurrection, not the Lord of the cemetery. He's the Lord of life. Some of you would live longer if you just smile more. It's okay to do that. I am the life. And he's everything life means. People who don't know the Lord don't have a clue about life. It's the people of God that know how to live. They laugh. They, they enjoy that which God gives them in this life. It's all great. People get hung up on how many angels can sit on the head of a pin. Oh, my gracious. Who cares? They get all hung up on little theological nothings. Is there a purgatory? Is there? Oh, come on. I am the life. Get into life. I think it was illustrated best when I saw this story of an engineer, a psychologist, and a theologian who were hunting together in the wilds of northern Canada. Out in the dense woods, they came across an isolated cabin. And if you know that part of the world at all, you know that cabins are here and there, and... and they just are there for people who need them, even though they may be owned by somebody, because you never know when a storm is going to move in, and they just take over. So the three of them tried the door. It was open. Nobody was there. They went inside. It was a two-bedroom cabin. I mean, a two-room cabin. Normal, except little furniture, but something very unusual in the cabin. There was a big pot-bellied cast-iron stove hanging on wires from the ceiling beam. And they'd never seen that before. So, the psychologist says, fascinating. It is obvious that this lonely trapper, isolated from humanity, has elevated his stove so he can curl up under it and vicariously experience a return to the womb. <laughs> Nonsense, replied the engineer. The man is practicing laws of thermodynamics. By elevating his stove, he has discovered a way to distribute heat more evenly through the cabin. With all due respect, interrupted the theologian, I'm sure that hanging his stove from the ceiling has religious meaning. Fire lifted up has been a religious symbol for centuries. Doesn't that sound spiritual? There are people like that everywhere get hung up on these things. Well, they argued and argued over that when the trapper finally came back to the cabin. And they said, why is that pot-bellied stove hanging by wires from the ceiling? His answer was very succinct. This is what he said. Had plenty of wire, not much stovepipe.
That's how I live. I don't care how many angels you can get on a pinhead. Just don't be one. A pinhead, I mean. Who cares whether you're a premillennialist or a postmillennialist? I'm a panmillennialist. It'll all pan out. Because he's in control. And I'm not going to miss life getting all hung up in arguments. I am the life, he said. I am the life. Proverbs 17:22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Don't be a dry bone person. You know, years ago, religious groups held over the heads of its members Verses like Luke 6.25, Jesus said this, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Ah, they said, see? No jokes. No cutting up. Well, that wasn't what he meant at all. What he was talking about was that if you seek now to have all of your merriment, at the expense of your soul, you're going to weep then. What he's saying is, find me, find true life, and then you'll really find life. Because you'll be like I am. You'll be with me. Oh. There are Quakers who are so... that I'm sure have had heart attacks when they got their Quaker Oats box of oatmeal and saw that guy smiling on the side of that box. I could never figure out how come he was smiling. But he was smiling. E. Stanley Jones is one of my heroes. He's gone to glory now, but I heard him preach when he's about 90 in person. Of this century, one of the great minds and great preachers of the gospel, and he got so tired of people worrying about dying and worrying about him dying that he said, someday as I am lying there, friends may come up and say, Brother Stanley's gone. I'd like to wink at them. <laughs> then sit up and laugh at them and say, Hallelujah! Oh, I like that religion. I've said to my wife, if I go first, when you come by the casket, watch out because I'm going to wink at you. <laughs> you know, if I tell her that enough, she'll think I, I did. <laughs> did you see that? Come on, do it again, bud. Come on. <laughs> do it again. I love that kind of a spirit that sees through the darkness. Christmas has just passed. My story about the guy who was such an optimist, they couldn't get over him. And his family said, we're going we're gonna to get him once and for all. And they wrapped up some horse manure and put it in a beautiful Christmas package under the tree. He opened it up and they expected him to just be so dandled down. He said, oh, wow, there's a horse around here somewhere. You may forget my text, but you'll never forget that. 
And I want you to go in 98 with this in your head. I am the life. Now get rid of all your idols and start living. I mean really living. You don't have any hangovers. You get up every day and say, oh, wow. Oh, God. This is incredible. Woo! What can I do today to bless you and your world? Now I'm through, I think. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 9. I want to close with verses 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prizes get this temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I have underlined that word disqualified. I do not want to be disqualified. I'm going to run, bringing myself under subjection. In 98, I'm going to walk after the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not going to go after idols of people, idols of places, or idols of things. I declare to you today, my purpose in 98 is to destroy every idol and walk holy and fully after Jesus Christ, bringing myself under subjection that I may not be disqualified. I do not want to be a loser. I want to be a winner. Now, would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, what a thrill to be in church. What a joy to be gathered around your word. Feel the challenge of the Holy Spirit here. Bringing us a step higher in our relationship with you, our walk with you. Touch us, Lord, that we may be willing to break every idol and to live life the way you intended it to be lived. While our heads are bowed, could I ask today, how many of you in this service, last Sunday of 1997, you know you're not really a Christian. Your sins are not under the blood of Jesus. You have not asked Christ to be your Savior. Why not? When he died for you and rose from the dead, proving he was the son of the living God, the only one who could ever forgive sin, why aren't you a Christian? Why don't you choose life today instead of death? I want to pray for you. Because the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. God will hear my prayer. I want you to raise your hand if you need to receive Christ into your life. To become a Christian.